The book of Acts covers the first 30 years of the church. And this summer, we're looking specifically into the first several chapters to just see what God has to say to our church when we start with Scripture and come out of that. The book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who very much like us, heard about Jesus because somebody told him. And can you imagine how excited and compelled he must have been when he heard the message of Christ to write two books that are in the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. We can learn a lot from looking into this book that reveals the church in its purest form. Last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit had shown up and God had in a big way displayed His power to the people who were in Jerusalem. And how all of that came together with one of Jesus' disciples standing up and saying, you need to change and here's why. And He gives an entire message about why Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And people responded with a question. What should we do? And all of that culminated with this declaration that appears in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 when it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. People accepted the message, received the grace and forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give, and they were baptized. In one day, one day that church grew from about 120 people to 3,000 people. And since no one's growth should stop at conversion when they make that decision to follow Christ, that's when growth really begins. The leaders of the church had to figure out, how are we going to take 3,000 people, many of whom don't even know each other, and how are we going to get them so together that it continues to spread and perpetuate this message to the whole world? How are we going to do that? And that's recorded in the latter part of Acts chapter 2. There are some Bibles coming down the aisles right now, going up the aisles. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Take one. That's our gift to you. It's yours to keep. Everybody should have a Bible. We believe at LifePoint that the words contained in that book are true. You can follow along in there. Just look at the index in the front. It tells you where the book of Acts is. Or you can read on the screen as the scriptures are displayed up there. So 3,000 people now are followers of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42... It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. It's not on the screen, but the very next verse says, All, be- all the believers were together and had everything in common. And then later on in that same paragraph, it says, Praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So something was going on with this group of 3,000 people that caused God to add to their number daily. And the key is in that first part of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when it says, They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching. So they would be with the apostles, and they would receive teaching, and then they would go and apply that teaching to their life. It didn't end with what they received from an apostle. They went out and they applied it. And there's a lot of different ways they did that, and we're going to talk about that a couple of weeks from now, all the rest of stuff that was going on in their lives that you read about in that passage that I just read. But these new followers of Christ were doing something that ensured the church would grow. And I doubt they were all thinking about church growth. They were thinking about personal growth. How can I get closer to God? And that closeness with God was directly related to the closeness they had with each other. And as they went back to their towns and their parts of the city and they assembled themselves in small groups, the word together in that passage comes from a Greek word. The word is homothumidon. And it's not just together like let's go to the mall together. It's together like we are together for a defined purpose and we have passion together. And together we have this specific purpose that we're passionate about. And we're going to change the world with this. We're going to change our lives with this. That's the kind of togetherness that homothumidon that these people experienced. These people in this latter part of Acts chapter 2 would have been self-feeders. Now, I know you know what a self-feeder is because we don't have to put signs up and tell people where the donuts are somehow. I mean, and, and we, we've never had a class like how to eat a Krispy Kreme donut. Somehow you just figure it out. I mean, from the first day LifePoint existed, people figured out if I go up to that counter, they've got pastries from Panera, they've got donuts, and you feed yourselves. Somehow you figured that out in life that, hey, when I go and there's something nice and sweet that I want, I can feed myself. That's what these people were doing spiritually. And just like you would think it was strange if somebody was standing there with a spoon saying, no, take another bite, come on, one more, one more Krispy Kreme, we've got a dozen left. In the minds of the people in the first century, it would have been foreign for people to walk around saying, Man, those apostles, they, I'm just not getting what I need from them. You know what the apostles would have said? Good. You're not supposed to get everything you need from us. Everything you need comes from God. And when you begin to take initiative and grow personally yourself, then the church will grow. See, God added to their number not because they had a cool church and they'd figured out a plan on how to go out and grow the church. God added to their number because in small groups, this three, these 3,000 people had this single purpose in mind that we are going to connect with God in a way we never have before because now we can do that directly through Jesus Christ. And they would take the apostles' teaching and they would learn from that. And it wasn't just a one-day-a-week thing for them. It was a life that they adopted and they began to live. And that's the same thing that applies today 2,000 years later. What you see happen here on Sunday morning, it, it might pump you up. Hopefully, occasionally bring a tear to your eye. It'll help you feel this connection with God. But I don't think we can do enough here. I don't think I can be funny enough or, or Joel can do a 20-minute introduction enough times like he has before. I, I, don't think, I don't think we can do that enough for you to feel like I've got everything I need. These people were getting everything they needed 
because they were taking the teaching that they had learned and they were taking it upon themselves to be a self-feeder. Those are the people who grow. And everybody that I know that I look up to and think that's a spiritual man and that's a spiritual woman, it's not because they just get it an hour on Sunday. It's because they, they stay in God's Word. Even when they don't understand it, they still stay in it. They stay in community with others. Even when they may not want to, they do because they understand when they take steps to grow spiritually, personally, the church grows. And every person I know, without exception, that I would consider a spiritual giant are people who have taken it upon themselves to have this connection with God through, through other people and with other people, but have this unity with the church at large through focusing on personal growth. And when we looked at this book of Acts and laid out the whole summer to say, what, what are we going to teach? Because Acts has 28 chapters, so how are we going to teach through 28 chapters? I mean, we're already over halfway through the summer. We've only got six or so weeks left. How's that going to work? Well, what's important is you get to get the whole message of Acts, and we're not going to be able to deliver that in 30-minute segments on Sunday morning. So here's what we've developed. You need to write this down. You're going to hear more about it in the weeks to come. We're, we're in the process of developing our very own online tool where you can continue to go through chapter after chapter of the book of Acts. You're going to hear a lot of the same stuff uh, that I say on Sunday morning, or you're going to hear you know, the same types of points. We're going to continue to look at the Scripture through two lenses. One is, what did it mean for them? The other one is, uh, what does it mean for us? And you're going to be able to type in questions and get answers. It's going to be an interactive online study tool that we do ourselves, written by very qualified people who know what God's Word has to say to us today. That's how we can become the kind of church that you read about in Acts. We can take it upon ourselves to grow. And I challenge you to do it. You're going to see this towards the end of August, 1st of September, when we wrap this series up. So be looking for that. So we pick up this story of Acts in chapter 3. In chapter 3, some really cool things start to happen again, just like we read in chapter 2. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those Going into the, begged from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, the scene is these two followers of Christ, Peter and John, were beginning to go out and lay the foundation for the church. They were starting to perform miracles. They were starting some teaching that would lay the foundation for all time for the church. Now, how many times do you lay a foundation when you're building something? It's a group answer. It's easy. It's one. 
One time. So that's what they were doing this one time going out and laying the foundation. Up until this point in this story, God has performed some really big miracles, some really big special effects shows from heaven. But now the first time we read about in the book of Acts, people are the conduit for the miracle. These two followers, these two apostles, are the people who speak in the name of Christ and the man is healed, not by their power, but they, they initiate this healing that takes place from this, this crippled guy who's just laying there by the entrance to the temple asking for money. And these two men have this special gift and they heal through the power of Christ this man. So a very legitimate question, if I would pick this book up reading it for the first time or maybe don't have a lot of experience reading the Bible, I would say, do miracles happen today? That's a legitimate question. I mean, I read about it. Same God then, same God now. Do miracles happen today? Because a lot of people need a miracle in their life. So if you ask that question, it's a good question. The quick answer is, yes, miracles happen today. Like this? No, they don't happen today. The reason they don't happen like this today is because this miracle was initiated by the apostles by people who had been directly commissioned by Christ to go out and build the foundation of the church. And even in the book of Acts, you would think if somebody had that gift, you know, if they really did, even today, you know, they would just go around wanting to heal people all the time, right? I mean, th- these apostles could call the name of Jesus and a crippled man get up and walk. Why don't they just run out and just grab all the crippled people and say, get up and walk, get up and walk, get up and walk? Why aren't they doing that? It's because with miracles, there's always something deeper. And this type of miracle performed by an apostle. And an apostle was a person who was directly commissioned by Jesus Christ. In, in other words, they would have had to stand toe-to-toe with Jesus at some point, to be an apostle. So there are no apostles walking around on earth today. No matter what title someone may give themselves, there are no Christ-commissioned apostles walking around on earth today with the same power that these men had. Later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, which was written to a church in a town called Corinth, which, you, which was planted as the result of what went on in the book of Acts, it says this, chapter 11, verse 12. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. So miracles, they were also an authenticating mark of an apostle. So are there healings today? Yes, but not at the hands of an apostle. And even with these men with this tremendous gift who could, through the name of Christ, heal people, they were not walking around just zapping folks and just making folks better. So there was a bigger purpose to these miracles, to these healings, than just people getting better. I would, I would doubt that in the first century they would have had posters that said, we're having a miracle crusade, come on down. You know, bring, bring everybody, let's get in a line, and I'm going to bring you across the stage and do whatever I do, and, and they're going to be healed. I would say the apostles who were commissioned directly by Christ would have understood there's something much deeper at work in the world than just healing people. And as you're going to see in a minute, there was something even deeper to this particular 
miracle that they performed. Remember, this is a foundational miracle to help build the foundation of the church. Miracles always display God's power, but there's always more behind it. There's always more than just the physical. It was a step. Seeing this guy healed physically was a step to the spiritual. If I could heal you, if I had this gift, and we lined up, and you, you told me what you had wrong, and I put my hands on you and did whatever, and, and I said, be healed, and you were healed, guess what would still happen many years from now, hopefully? You would die. That's, that's encouraging, isn't it? I was waiting for the encouragement to kind of blow back through the crowd there. You would still die. No matter what happened, you would still die. This guy that they healed, he still died. So there's got to be something deeper at work in this miracle than the physical. Every time a miracle was performed, it got attention. These people were amazed. And this particular miracle would have really gotten their attention because they, these were people coming to the temple. These were people who would have known a good bit about the Torah, the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. They would have known a lot about what God had to say generations before. They would have had it memorized. And they would have known that there was this Messiah prophesied that when he came, the deaf would hear, the blind would see, and the lame would walk. So they're in the temple, and they see a lame person get up and walk. They're not just saying, oh, cool, you know, how can I get a hold of that power? They're saying, wow, could there be something more to this story? Because they're calling the name of this Messiah, Jesus Christ, and they're saying, in his name, get up and walk. And immediately they would have connected those two things. This guy walks. They said the name of Jesus. The prophecy said the lame will walk. Could this be? This would have gotten their attention. If they were just milling around the temple, when that guy got up and walked, because they would have known he was a crippled man because he would have been there every day they came, all of a sudden, I bet a hush fell over the room because the guy walked, and they would have known the connection. God would have gotten their attention if... If, the, if Jesus Christ being crucified didn't get their attention, if what happened in Acts 2 didn't get their attention, the ones that were left over, when this happened, all of a sudden they start to connect the dots and put all the pieces together and realize this story could be true. Now, God, you've got my attention. And that's what God seeks to do in your life. God wants my attention. And he will go to great lengths to get it. God wants your attention directed to Him. And He'll go to great lengths to get it. But what we end up doing is filling our lives up with things that detract from that and take away from And then we're not putting our attention on God. So things need to happen sometimes, maybe unpleasant things. So would God let something unpleasant happen to me in order to get my attention? Yes, and I hope He does. Because God wants our attention. Sometimes when I walk in our room where the television is, the girls are laying on each couch and they're so focused on, you know, Disney or whatever's on TV and I'm trying to talk to them and they're not listening. And then it just takes a couple of minutes and I realized, oh, they're not listening. So I get the remote and I turn it off and they're like, hey, hey, what, what, what? It's like, I've been talking to you for the last five minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. 
So I had to take some kind of dramatic measure. And if that doesn't work, you know, I'll take even more dramatic measure to make sure they are listening. And if it's uncomfortable for them, then so be it, because there are things that I say to them they need to hear. And it's the same thing with us and God. So what's going on in your life that you're so focused on, like the kids are focused on the television, that God's trying to talk, trying to let you in on something, and you're not even listening, and he's going to have to grab that big cosmic remote control one day and turn something off. So you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, God, now you have my full and undivided attention. So this scene at the temple of these two original apostles healing this crippled man has a lot more about it than just physically healing somebody. So do miracles happen today? Yes, they do. They don't happen at the hands of an apostle because there are no apostles walking around. But God still desires our attention just like he desired the attention of those people at the temple. So when these people watching this would have seen all this happen, they would have immediately looked past the physical because here's a few things they would have known about this guy that was laying at the front door. They would have known that crippled people were not allowed to enter the temple. That's in, that's in Scripture, in the Old Testament. They would have known this guy can't enter the temple. And it's ironic that the very place that was supposed to be where one could meet with God, this guy was kept from it by the same people that erected the place to meet with God. So in this interaction with the crippled man, they would have realized this guy's got a good gig going because he's, it would be like somebody standing at the front door of our church with a little can saying, give me some money, give me some money. Because maybe he would be thinking, well, here are religious people going to church and, and they're going to be thinking about, then they would have been thinking about three things, Torah study, temple worship, and then they would have been thinking about giving alms to the poor. So they're coming through the door, husband, wife coming in, a guy there, just alms for the poor, dinging the, the, the can with the coins in it. And, you know, it's like, honey, give him a quarter. He's not allowed to go in because he's crippled. Let's help him out. I mean, he perfectly positioned himself to make the maximum amount of money. He was making a pretty good decision. He was making the best of a bad situation. So he looks at Peter and John. And they know he's expecting money. He's, he is expecting money. They don't have any money with them. They would have known there's pe- going to be people at the door. He wouldn't have been the only guy. There would have been other people there asking for money, so they just didn't even bring it with them. And they make a decision to change this guy's life, not just to make him physically better. They're not just going to throw money in a, in a can and treat the symptom. They're treating the disease. They are removing the obstacle that keeps this man from connecting with God. He would have known he wasn't allowed in the temple. Everybody around would have known a crippled person is not allowed in the temple. So what do Peter and John do? They remove the obstacle that keeps this man from connecting with God. It's not about the miracle. It's rarely, if ever, about the specific miracle. It's about what's behind it. This guy could not connect with God. Nobody thought he could connect with God. And in a way that says this message of Christ is for everybody, Stand up and walk. So now this guy's obstacle is removed. And the purpose is way deeper than the physical. Because now he can connect with God. And it's interesting because they healed him. And he probably would have been sitting there going, Oh yeah, right, I've heard that one before. Stand up and walk. Everybody's going to laugh. I get it. I understand. Or the people, maybe they didn't know him, would have thought, It's a trick. It's a trick. 
And in the original language of the book of Acts of the New Testament Greek, it, it's not like Peter gave him his hand and said, oh, buddy, let me help you get up and walk. It wasn't that at all. It says he seized him. He reached down, he got him, and he pulled him up, and he said, get up. He helped him believe. So what does this whole story about this 40-year-old man mean to us? It means that I need to remove the obstacles that keep me from connecting with God. See, this, this guy that couldn't walk, he knew what the obstacles were. I can't walk. That's my obstacle. I can't go to the temple. I can't walk. They removed the obstacle. In a room this size, there's person after person after person that is, that's dealing with obstacles in their lives, in your life, that keep you from ultimately connecting with God the way you're supposed to. And God will do anything He can to get your attention so you will connect with Him. So those obstacles will be removed and you and God can have that connection that you're supposed to have. So this whole thing is taking place and people are gathering around in, in the temple watching what's going on, watching what's happening. And Peter tells his listeners that day that the crippled man is not the only one with obstacles in his life. See, they would have thought that poor guy, I'm going to worship. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. You have obstacles in your life too. You think he had an obstacle just because he was crippled and couldn't go into the temple? You go into the temple every day and you still have obstacles in your life. And he proceeds to tell them what they need to do about it. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? See, Peter knew that they knew. When the lame walked, that's got something to do with the Messiah. So they knew that, but they were still astonished and amazed that this guy got up and walked. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And now we're getting to the heart of this miracle. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though you had decided, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And this starts a pattern that you see in Scripture, in the book of Acts. People are amazed. They want to know, how did this happen? What's going on here? They want more information. And then a challenge is given. A challenge that there's something deeper than this miracle. It applies directly to your life. And then there's instructions on how to change. And Peter, in this one passage, connects these people to the death of Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, that's not fair. Some of them may not even have been there. Some of them probably weren't. So why would he connect these people to the death of the Messiah? And some of these people may not even have witnessed that. They may not even have been around. But he's connecting them to that. It's because of their 
the little three little word that's not three letter little word that's not real popular. Sin. It's because of the sin in their life. And he's saying, you think you're okay because you're coming to the temple when you're walking past people every day that don't connect, don't have any way to connect with God? Your complacency is your guilt. You're ignoring this guy. That's your guilt. Sin is what disconnects us from God. It's an archer's term. It's an archer's term for missing the mark. It's like shooting an arrow. You don't quite hit the middle, hit the ideal. That's what sin is. And he's telling these people, that's what you have. And those same words echo through the centuries to us. And though it may not always feel good, it may not always make you say, oh man, great, thanks for telling me about my sin. I appreciate that, Donnie. Can I take you to lunch? You know, that rarely happens. It echoes to us that we have the same sin. And although none of us were there, none of us had physical I had a physical part in the death of Jesus Christ. When we miss the mark, that same sacrifice that these people were getting ready to get a hold of is the same sacrifice that also cleanses our sins and where we mess up and brings a fresh new life to us. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Just like the power of Christ healed the physically sick, the same power heals the spiritually sick. And His power does so much more than treat the symptoms. It treats the disease. And Peter tells his listeners, here's how you get in on this. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repenting is the key. Repenting is what he's telling these people. Look, if you want a fresh life, if you want to be renewed spiritually, then you need to know about repentance. And they would have understood repentance means a change of mind, a decision to walk in a new way, a decision to think in a new way. That's what repentance is. And he's saying when you do that, you will receive this cleansing, this refreshing that can only come from Jesus Christ. So you think this miracle has to do with this guy getting up and walking? God just used that to get your attention, he's telling them. Now you need to get this huge obstacle out of the way that's keeping you, just like the crippled man, from connecting with God. You need to remove whatever it is, get it out of your life, and connect with God. And that starts with thinking differently. Jesus did a whole sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. About, began, he began talking about the way we think because they were all concerned about the physical. And he was saying it's got to start with in here and in here. And when it starts in here, then the true change can come on the outside and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. 
When I change the way I think, God removes the obstacles in my life. And if you've got obstacles in your life, you want to be removed. Just come talk to me or any of the other staff that you see up here on the stage or out in the lobby. We'd be glad to talk with you through what it means to repent and allow times of refreshing to come and God to remove the obstacles that are keeping you from ultimately connecting with Him. Let's pray. God, as we continue to look through this amazing book that tells us about your first church, may you continue to speak to us through the centuries with the words and the stories and the things that happened to people 2,000 years ago. God, may you make those real to us. And Father, convict us to become people who are dedicated to personal spiritual growth. Fathers, we continue in this story. We ask you to speak to our church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.